Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's a reminder for the group, for everyone really, that if you're not at it, you don't have the right to turn up and win any game of football. Firstly, we have to look internally us as players, did we do enough? The answer is no. Cal McGregor speaking in the aftermath of Celtic's 1-0 defeat to Kilmarnock at the weekend in the League Cup. This is the Huddle Breakdown. I'm Andy Call and I'm joined by Alan Morrison today. Alan, it's Tuesday now. The game was on Sunday. A few games have passed. I've been mulling over this game and I really haven't come to terms with it just yet. What have you been thinking over the last couple of days since this game? Yeah, I mean, really disappointing. It doesn't doesn't quite cover it. Um, and and actually, compounding that is when you watch it back is just that Celtic actually started reasonably well in the first sort of um, eight, eight to ten minutes. Um, you know, Kyogo and O'Reilly had decent shots from from quite slick passing moves, which is I think is what Celtic are trying to do in the final third, get combinations between the midfielders, the wide players and the striker. Um, quick, quick passing, quick moving, and that, that worked quite well. But I think f- for me, the most disappointing thing was the longer it went on, the worse it got. Uh, you know, the, and, and although I think the subs did brighten it up a little bit, especially the wide players, Yang and Haksabanovic, it was just a, it was just a horribly, horribly, flat, unfocused performance. I didn't really know what we were trying to do. If, I, I, I'm, I'm not being glib. I just genuinely wasn't sure what the objective was in terms of how are we going to build attacks, how are we going to score goals. Um, I think in the in the last two league games, which, as I say, in the, in the end, Celtic won comfortably, you know, sort of three that around about 3xG in both games. Yes, we gave up lots of chances too, but they were, as I, as I mentioned, they were kind of redolent of Ange's early games, you know, a lot of chances at both ends, but Celtic got created a heck of a lot. And in that, in that basis, it was a bit, you know, unstructured and it was a bit chaotic, but it, there was a lot of good stuff as well. The, this was none of that. Uh, and, and, and even, you know, again, I, I hope people will feel that over the time we've done this podcast, we do try and give credit where it's due to the opposition. You know, it wasn't even as if Kilmarnock were exceptional. They really weren't. They really weren't. They they didn't really put a lot of pressure on the Celtic goal. 
they didn't create much. What they did do, I think, was well, but 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 we foretold this by watching their first two games, was they negated one of Celtic's great advantage, one of great Celtic's great strengths, which is, you know, pressing and counter pressing. Um, because they simply didn't dwell on the ball at the back. They just launched it forward as quickly as they got it. And I think we said last week that of all the teams in the league, Kilmarnock have got the highest ratio of passes completed in the position half versus their own half. They simply don't want to play at all in their own half. And what that did effectively was negate, you know, Maida, Kyogo, O'Reilly especially, their strengths are pressing, counter-pressing, trying to win the ball back high. Um, you know, I, I've I've only got as far as sort of midway through the second half as far as collecting my own data, but up to that point, Celtic didn't win the ball back, or didn't, or Kilmarnock put it another way, Kilmarnock did give the ball away in their own defensive third once, and that's remarkable for a Celtic game. So I don't think that's because I think that's just the nature of how they played. They launched it forward. I don't think they particularly caused Celtic huge numbers of problems. But then a lot of it was, you know, an artificial pitch. The ball bounces kind of straight up in the air rather than more predictably like it does on grass. And therefore, Celtic were, were forced into a lot of unfocused headers or clearances that then make it all just a, a 50-50 mess. And, you know, fair play, that's what they were trying to do. And that's that was their that was their approach. But all in all, as I say, I don't believe Kilmarnock were particularly outstanding. But we were absolutely um, shambolic, really, because, as mm-hmm. I say, there was just no... I didn't see what we were trying to do. That's what it comes down to. That's the most disappointing thing. I don't mind a plan implemented badly or mistakes, but when you just don't see a plan, that that's more worrying, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's probably why the reaction to this has been so dramatic or vitriolic from the Celtic fans was that it was just so bad. And I would urge anybody to actually go and watch and read Cal McGregor's words after this game because he was pretty scathing of his teammates after this and you know what like Cal McGregor didn't have a great game either but he is the captain so it is sort of his job to come out and and take responsibility and and almost get his teammates to get a kick up the arse that this game really is he was he was very strong on the fact that you know there's new players coming into the club but that doesn't matter that you know you should be coming up and turning up for this game and even for the players who are at the club multiple ta- uh, for multiple years already you know he almost um, said that you know they almost turned up entitled to win this game against Kilmarnock and you just don't get that no matter who you are a lot of people say have say, said since this game that this is a sign the Celtic need bodies in but I, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that sort of idea that you know a loss to one nil loss to Kilmarnock in the League Cup on an artificial pitch is the reason that Celtic need new signings in because the players that are at Celtic should be good enough to beat Kilmarnock away uh, in the League Cup what I do think is necessary though is a wake-up call for this team Alan because <sighs> Brendan Rodgers is a good manager but since he's come back there has it's been flat the preseason was flat the first two games were flat and the speed in which Celtic are playing has dropped dramatically. And I think that's one of the key issues here is that you're playing against Kilmarnock. Okay, they're going to set back. Well, how do you counter that? Well, you play through their uh, game. You don't let them get back into shape quickly. So you play play quick, you play fast passes, you get the ball forward. And Celtic were getting the ball 
getting it to the forwards they were going back to the midfielders back to the defenders and restarting and by the time they got the ball up the pitch Kilmarnock had 10 men behind the ball already so it just felt like they didn't have a plan and if even if they did have a plan they weren't implementing that plan because I would say that Brendan Rodgers would not have put them out on the pitch and said okay lads recycle possession keep hold of the ball as much as you can and get forward uh, when you can I would say he would have said go at Kilmarnock quickly and I feel like this was a failure to implement any game plan as opposed to just not having one or you know um I, I think it was a player failure, like a, almost an attitude failure, as opposed to any sort of lack of standards or lack of game plan. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to feel a bit sorry for, you know, I think some players came out of that game not looking good, especially the fullbacks who looked ponderous and, like you say, you know, looked to get the ball in reasonable positions and then turn back and start again. The two new fullbacks who I don't think you can really blame two relatively young players that have been pitched in together um, a lot of passing back and forth between them um, but you know that all is all there's, there's two things really I always think about that one is yeah you know is there sufficient movement up front so you know McInnes again this is why I'm not particularly effusive in my praise for McInnes because he didn't do anything that he hasn't done a dozen times before against Celtic and lost virtually every game and he keeps doing the same thing but this time they won. Okay, so I guess that's the law of averages as well. But so, so but, you know, this man-to-man marking was going to be expected. We've actually had it in three games, and there is not just uh, uh, you know responsibility on the person being marked to get themselves into a good position. There's also responsibility on the passer to um, be brave enough to pass the ball to somebody who is being marked. And and and, and I mean that might sound obvious, but a lot of times a footballer, especially if they've got a slightly negative mindset or not quite switched on 100%, will see a player and a, a defender near them and then just think, oh, okay, I'm not going to give the ball away, I'm going to look bad. When actually, you know, if you see, I don't know, Callum McGregor wide on the right and his left foot is furthest from the defender and you think, okay, if I hit his left foot, he's going to take that ball in. And then that's a, then a trigger for... Matt O'Reilly to run past him or home or whoever. That's how you do it, and and you then play through. Um, and we didn't do that. I, I you know I, we didn't we didn't we weren't brave in our passing, and, and we maybe weren't brave in our running. Um, I think there's also a compounding factor in terms of the, the wide players that we had, and this is building on something you know. I think Tony McLaughlin made the point on Twitter this morning very well that Ange Postecoglou only only about and four maybe five times in two years played Abada and Maeda at the same time. And the, re- well, the reason being mainly is because he had Jota, and if Jota was fit, you played him. But also it's the balance that gave to the attack because you could fire the ball at Jota at any height, pace, or direction, and he would generally master the ball. And even if he was being marked, um, even though he wasn't sort of top-end speed, he was skillful enough to get half a yard to, to do then do something with the ball, whether it was get a cross in the next pass and link the play, and then you're, you're building. But if you look at um, and, and Maida on the other side, or Abada on the other side, you know he gave you that more direct running. So you had a nice balance on either side, and you had you, you, the defence couldn't gamble too much in terms of how high and how aggressively they pressed, because if they pressed Jota really hard, then suddenly there was a lot of space in behind. With this with this lineup, um, you know Abada's really doesn't offer a lot 50, 40, 50 yards from goal. He comes to life. 
if you get the ball around the edge of the box and he's good at quick quick movement, quick passes and, and, and everything done at speed. Maida, as we know, wants to run in behind. Um, if you give Maida the ball 50 yards from goal out on the touchline, generally speaking, I mean, it happened two or three times. I'm, I'm being humorous, but... You know, two or three times it took him. It was a, he didn't control the ball until he was back on the halfway line. And so yeah, he actually mastered the ball. You know, he, 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 he very rarely. In fact, it was only once he um, he got the ball wide on the left hand side. It was early in the game, and he crossed into Kyogo, and Kyogo had a, a difficult shot, and that was it. In the first half, both Taylor and Maida um, were the most um, voluminous recipients of forward passes. And neither and neither created a forward pass themselves. So we were finding these players in good situations. We're taking people out of the game. Uh, uh, Lagrabielka, some great passing out to Maida, and then it would just break. It, it just nothing, then it would come back, or nothing would happen after that. Nothing creative. But I don't want to put the put the blame all on the two wide players because you know when we have a poor performance, there's a multitude of things. You know, we, we we've got to face up to a number of different things here. You know, we've got. We've got we've got we've got we've got an aging heart. We've got an aging McGregor. We saw with McGregor again a yellow card because when the opposition broke, he, he just doesn't have the speed that he had before, and he had to bring the guy down. Um, Hart was actually I think okay in this game, but again you know, there was a couple of loose passes. Um, but you know we've got this incredible run of injuries at centre half. We've got two best defenders out. We've got a left back in Taylor who seems to be utterly bereft. Of confidence. I mean, like completely, com- all confidence is drained for him. He's hesitant. He doesn't know what to do with the ball. He's unsure of himself. He's 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 either rushing and hoofing it, or he's taking too long and getting caught in possession sometimes. And then we've got the age-old, um, you know, problem of the midfield uh, combination. You know, we brought home in. Home had some lovely touches, won a couple of nice tackles, but was generally peripheral to the game. He's a young player. This was a very alien environment to him. He couldn't get on the ball. And then you know, we've got the issues with the two the two wide players that we've talked about. So that's a lot of concern, that's a lot of tactical concerns there. And, and as we've talked about on this show a lot, it's the compounding nature of those things. If you add them all up together, any one of those things in isolation isn't is probably manageable against Kilmarnock away. But the compound negative variance introduced by all of those things added together will will potentially lead to this this sort of fragmented performance. Yeah, and I think the to start with the wingers point that you're making there. Now I was very optimistic about Maeda's role in the Celtic team this year at the start of the season. That was based upon Brendan Rodgers playing a similar tactic that he played at Leicester. He seems to have reverted back a little bit to a more possession-based build-up at Celtic, which I do not think suits Maeda at all. I do. He's not good enough on the ball to expect him to do these things. He is fast, presser, get behind, get at the opposition. He's not a put the ball into him and he'll control it and, and link up the play. That's just not what Maeda is good at. Neither is Abada. So I, I think expectancy to do that is probably unfair and not what you would expect Brendan Rodgers to put that sort of pressure on these players because I'm sure he knows they're not they're not good enough to do it and then Yang came on and Brendan Rodgers did say that Yang um sort of brought more to the game than than what was on the field before him 
whether Marco Tilio is the player that Celtic have lined up as that Jota-esque player who is good on the ball and is capable of getting at players, that's yet to be seen because he's still that injured. But at the minute, it's just not working. And then in terms of the general overall play with the fullbacks, again, I think it's a similar issue is that Greg Taylor was on the ball quite a bit for Celtic last year, but it was a completely different thing that he was being expected to do. He was really keeping it simple last year and he's expected to be almost a creative spark this year. And I just don't think Greg Taylor is good at that. So it's getting to the point now where all of these factors are building up alongside these injuries with Cameron Carter-Vickers, Navrosky's out injured, Stephen Welsh is going to be out injured for a couple of months now, Hatate, who knows how long he's going to be out for, Kobayashi's out injured. So Celtic have all the issues that you've mentioned, plus the injury issues, plus a very difficult run of fixtures coming up over the next couple of weeks, including a trip to Ibrox. And add all that up with the fact that Brendan Rodgers was never going to get as much time to uh, bet in as a other another manager who didn't leave in the middle of a season a couple of years ago would have with the fans. And you, you've just got this deluge of absolute negativity after one defeat at the start of the season. If you compare Celtic start of the season, and this is where I sort of, I'm a little bit torn on whether or not it should be com- compared with Ange's first uh, season at Celtic. So his first start, his start to the season, if you don't include the, the European games, which, I mean, there was a couple of losses in there as well. But in terms of domestic performances, Ange had obviously the loss to Hearts at the start of the season, first game, lost to Rangers at Ibrox and then lost to Livingston. Cal McGregor mentioned the Livingston result in his post-match uh, comments as well, is that that's sort of where he feels this team is at, that they need to really just cop on now and get get uh, up and, and tuned with the system. As did Brendan Rodgers. He said that it shouldn't matter that, um, that Kilmarnock have played seven games this year already, that Celtic have played enough games in preseason to know that they... They, uh, what they have to do and what they don't. But what I do need to probably point to here, which I think is an interesting comparison, is the, Ange's comments after the, I believe it was the uh, Michelin game, which was one of the first games of the season. And he said that, I've obviously not done enough to convince people that we need to bring people in. I'm not going to shy away from that. I've been trying to be as forceful as I can with what we need to bring in and the challenges we have faced, they're well chronicled. So this was around the time when Don Mackay was still here and trying to get signings in. It just wasn't working. After this game, Brendan Rodgers was asked about transfers and he said, I think you can see that we need quality. We've had to go, we've had quality go out of the building, so we need to get quality in. Is that a warning to the Celtic board in a similar vein as Ange's warning after the Michelin uh, results? Yeah, I mean, it's. Yeah, I suspect we'll, we'll cherry pick to to make an analogy work and forget other things. But it, it you know, it was interesting. Callum McGregor is more of an expert than you and I, having lived and breathed it. It was interesting that he focused on that Livingston game and made the analogy of because you know that was another sort of hapless performance where the team looked lost trying to combat what was a very sort of basic form of football that that we've seen many times before and we'll see again in Scotland. Um, you know, so that was fast. That was fascinating. I think 
Um, and the comments, like you say, were very similar from the managers. Um, we, we, listen, we've talked about this, and it, I guess a loss validates those who are impatient from getting hundreds of players in the door. Uh, as, you, as you said, it's not, it's, it's, not, it's not as simple as that. You know, we're here to develop players as well, we're here to make the ones that have signed up to long contracts. And- One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Prove them. Um, make make them fit into a coherent system as well. But he's, you know, Rogers is absolutely right. We've lost a, a great deal of experience in Starfelt. Jota, I mean, Jota, you know, he's, he's relatively experienced. Uh, played a lot of games for Celtic, etc. Um, and we've lost a lot of uh, as Anja had to so had to battle with of experienced injury. You know, best defender, best fullback. You know, we've lost. Uh, you know, Hitati who. Relative to the players we've brought in, Hitati's now become one of the more experienced players. I mean, we often refer to him as a young player, but actually, you know, he's 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 now an experienced player in relative terms compared to some of the people we've brought in. And we have bought in true to our uh, trading model, but what we haven't done is brought in those, um, you know, more experienced, battle-worn, perhaps Champions League, you know, ready, proficient type of signings that I think we hoped would be there at some point, um, and, and still do. As I say, I don't believe the intent has changed. I still believe there's an intent. There was there was always an intent in three to four players of that nature. I think there still is that intent. There may have to be more because of Jota and Starfelt, which 
which wasn't completely expected. And obviously Moy retiring. I mean, again, I come back to Moy's a huge risk and a huge miss, really, in terms of his experience and his ability to cope with these types of situations and bring calm and composure to the team. So, yeah, listen, a lot to deal with. Uh, you know, a huge injury list, especially in the centre-half department. Um, and we're having to be patient because we're we're shopping, as I say, in this market of of signings, I think, we're trying to get who – you know, we'll probably leave it as late as possible in the window to resolve their futures because, you know, the, the, we're probably looking at players who are, will, are going to have choices and are going to have choices in very competitive leagues. So, you know, it's a gamble. It always is a gamble. But what do you do? Do you just say, well, we're not going to chase those players. We'll get another two and a half million signing from Armenia or whatever. Um, you know, <laughs> and you've got another body in the door. I think I think we, we we need to be true to what we're trying to achieve. If it was the right decision in um, you know June, it's probably still the right decision now. Um, but uh, what is concerning is if we you know when we started the season or talked at pre-season and, and we listed what are the five things you're most concerned about, I don't think any of those things have been resolved. Arguably, the centre half position was I think last week for about ten minutes, and it was literally ten minutes between. You know, Lagerbielka signing, Stephen Welsh signing a new contract, and then Stephen Welsh being injured. You know, when we had it looked like we had four centre halves that I was kind of happy with. Now you can't go and sign loads of players just because you have injuries. That that's just a fact of life. You're going to have to. People are going to have to step up, and I think it's probably uh, made Liam Scales and Kobayashi's situations quite interesting. Um. But yeah, listen. There's a lot there. There's a lot more. As I said to you before, my the, the scales are falling off my eyes to, to use to use that word, um, in the sense of I, there's an awful lot more happening here, and a lot more to resolve than I thought. I thought it'd be tweaking and enriching and bringing more quality into the squad. Maybe that. that no, it's obviously a, a very simplistic view. There's just a huge amount to, amount more to do, and I think just one last point on that game uh, in terms of Celtics performance is it was very telling to me um, the fact that you know you can obviously use five substitutes and, and Celtic only used three so you know what does that say about the players that didn't come on you know you're, 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 the team's playing terrible nothing's being created and yet you're not deemed good enough to come on and change the game um, you, know, you know for example Taylor was clearly struggling when he got that elbow to the head and he was bleeding and it took like three minutes to patch him up. Why didn't you just say, right, sod it, this is going to take too long, just chuck Bernabe on. You know what I mean? Mm. What harm would it have done? Would it really have been any worse? <laughs> yeah, but, and, and, you know, what are some other players on the bench there that didn't that didn't kind of uh, feature? So this is all part of it. This is all part of Rogers looking at the squad and going, you know, who do I trust, who do I not trust? And it, it just seems like it's a heck of a bigger job than what, what we realise, which is, you know, as I say, the, the dawning realisation for me, certainly. The context is probably needed or a little bit of realism is needed. So if if you look at the squad as a whole, obviously the goalkeeping position, we don't need to talk about it any further. We all agree that there needs to be improvements there. I think if you have a fully fit squad, so this is taking injuries out of it. If you have a fully fit squad, Cameron Carter-Vickers and Mike Navrosky is a good enough partnership, in my opinion. Lagerbielka, Stephen Welsh are good enough replacements. If Alistair Johnson is fully fit, then Alistair Johnson is a absolutely solid right back. 
and um, we have a good replacement in in Anthony Ralston as a backup. Greg Taylor for me needs to be upgraded on, but he's a good he's a good backup option to have. So left back is still a position that I think we need to make improvements on. In centre mid, in Cal McGregor, Rio Atate, and Matt O'Reilly is a good enough starting trio for this year, with home good enough to be a backup. So I think the midfield is somewhere that we need to look to improve on and Turnbull as well as a replacement for Matt O'Reilly. So you probably look at another body in there at least if um, we're not going to bring anybody else in, then we might be struggling there. And then in the forward line, if O is fit, I think he's a fine replacement for Kyogo. I think Tilio is probably going to be a starter based on the opening games with Maeda and, and Abada as the starters. So Maeda is a fine replacement. Abada is probably a good enough starter if we get to a point where we're actually attacking his, with his strengths and optimizing for his strengths. I don't think he's a good enough starter if we're going to play the way that we're currently playing. I think we need a more uh, dominant ball-playing winger. If that's uh, Yang, then it could be Yang. Uh, so I think we're almost there. We're probably about 80% there in terms of the squad. But I do agree. I do think there is definitely improvements need to be made in some key positions. Am I as worried as probably the majority of the fan base that I saw on Twitter? I'm probably not. I think we are still early doors in this. And one loss shouldn't mean throwing the baby out with the bathwater and going and spending stupid money on wages on a player who plays in the Premier League and go back to a model of, you know, filling gaps where needed on the last uh, day of the transfer window. Um, so, I don't know, maybe I'm a bit optimistic on the, the side of things. Probably most people would agree with me at this point in time. But looking back at that result against Kilmarnock... The game was bad, the performance was bad, but I always go back to, okay, is this squad good enough to get a result if they actually kick it up a gear and play to their best of their ability? Yes, they probably would have still won that game. And I know that's not good enough for progressing in the Champions League and I'm completely on board with the need for real, real upgrades uh, in terms of the Champions League, but... In terms of domestically, I think Celtic are absolutely fine for this year. They just need to make those incremental improvements in goalkeeper, left back, centre mid, and and in the forward line. I think they still need four good signings, but I wouldn't hold my breath in that happening this this summer. I I just I, I can't see it, regardless of the Jota money or not. Or perhaps Alan, perhaps Jota will replace Jota uh, because it looks like his time at Al Had is coming to an end. So. I mean, am I being too optimistic? Am I looking at this with Brendan Rodgers' tinted glasses on? So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I guess that's fair. And certainly domestically, I, I, I tend to try and look at it through a sort of Champions League lens. And, and, I, and I'm almost too scared to talk about that in terms of how far we are off competing at that level at, at this moment in time. Um, and But you're absolutely right in the sense of, you know, injuries will happen. They've happened for a multitude of reasons. Some of them were inherited. Some of them, like Stephen Welsh, was just a freak sort of training ground thing that can happen. Um, you know, so that's life. You know, again, as I've said before, Celtic got a bigger squad than, than, than most in Scotland and therefore should be able to, um, you know, work around that. Um, and so are you being over-optimistic? I don't think so, but uh, again, it, you know, we, we kind of make the assumption that, you know, 
like for example, Callum McGregor is the same Callum McGregor as he was last year, and I don't think that's the case. So you, you constantly have to really have an eye on those things as well. And then there are there those players like that 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 that, that, that Rogers maybe just doesn't doesn't fancy that we didn't realise that, that that would be the situation, and there might be a couple of those as well. So as I say, for me, I'm probably slightly more worried only on the basis I think there's a ton more work to do than than what I, I keep coming back to than what I actually envisaged. And then, you know, I know we're, we're kind of running out of time, but we do have to, for me, we do have to mention Alan Muir because, again, you know, Celtic were awful. They didn't deserve to win. What is also can be true at the same time is that, yes, but they, but they expect to be given a fair crack at it in terms of refereeing performance. You know, Yorkshire Whistler looked at the sort of three big calls in that game um, and he was very pressed for time for, for personal reasons. I'm very grateful for him to turn it around quite quickly. Um, on the set, on the Greg Taylor uh, Armstrong elbow to the head, he, he was clear that that was a clear red card. Um, if you look at the highlights or read the BBC match report, you wouldn't even see of that. That was an absolutely crucial decision. Greg Taylor went off the pitch for about three minutes and the same player who elbowed him in the head crossed the ball from the position that Taylor was supposed to marking to set up the winning goal. So that had a huge impact on the game. Um, the goal itself, um, the Yorkshire Whistler's view based on the highlights was it was so close that you know, you'd know you give the benefit to the attacker. And I would agree with that watching the video. But if you look at the, the image that we were given of the VAR decision, um, the, the line that's been drawn for where the attacker is has been drawn in the wrong place. Because it's been drawn three quarters of the way through Watkins' head, when actually he's leaning forward at a really steep angle, and his left shoulder, which he can score with, it's that t-shirt line, uh, is is way in advance of his head, and 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 so the line is 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 literally been drawn in the wrong place. Now I don't had you had you drawn the line in the right place, it still looks incredibly tight to me, and it still may have been a goal. But the point is that there's 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 a you know an a, an officiating error there. And it's it's public data, it's public public knowledge that the right the line is in place, right? And then you get the Haksabanovich being clipped down um in the last in the last minutes, which again Yorkshire uh, Whistler view was clear penalty that, that seemed to either not get reviewed at all or it was reviewed and, and done with within about ten seconds. And you sort of think, well <laughs> you know, people People misquote, or not misquote, people misuse and abuse the old Jock Steen saying about, well, you know, if, if we if we if we're good enough, the referees don't matter. What Jock Steen was doing was two things. One, he was being very bullish about how good his team well, uh, what actually was, and putting putting the fear in people. And he was it was just the oldest trick in the book. He was putting pressure on referees. He wasn't saying, oh, and by the way, if we're rubbish, refereeing mistakes don't matter. He wasn't saying that because that's clearly ludicrous. And in this case, you know, Celtic were rubbish. Kilmarnock stuck to their game plan doggedly. The referee made at least two huge errors that ultimately swung the game. And and, and that, that, that that's it. So, you know, the, all the reaction all and a lot of the commentary that follows the game is predicated on the result. Mm. Had Celtic won that game 1-0 with a late penalty against 10-man Kilmarnock, I'm sure there'd have been lots of praise about Plucky Kilmarnock, and we'd all be, and a lot of 
commentary in the Celtic uh, universe would have been about, well, that wasn't a great performance, but we, we dug in and we, we showed resilience and we, we got the job done in the end. Very different narrative, you know. And they, so these things matter. They matter hugely. You know, Celtics, you know, Rogers' record's gone, Celtics' treble gone, all those things. And why? Because a referee and a, and a VAR, and, and, and actually a VAR official, I don't actually, you know, in both those incidents, arguably, Muir could have been forgiven for not quite picking them up in real time. But but the excuse of, oh, well, it happened, the referee's only got one look and it happened so fast, that doesn't fly anymore. Mm. They can look at it endlessly. They can look at it many times as they want. And if you look at those decisions as many times as you want, they're not difficult decisions. So wh- where does that leave us? You know you're uh, on uh, Stonewall penalty when even Barry Ferguson is saying he'd be raging if he didn't get the Haksabanovich penalty. That was a Stonewall penalty. I, the red card, I agree with you, should have been definitely considered longer, if not you know overturned and, and the right decision made. The offside one, I can't find myself getting too upset about you know, marginal calls are always going to end up going the um, the striker's way. They generally do. We, we're not operating off the same system as the Premier League. I've always said this. I said it from the start of VAR in Scottish football. Scottish football should not be using VAR until the technology is good enough to use. I mean, that, and these decisions are going to keep happening because the technology is not good enough to use in, in the professional game. It's it's as simple as that. Remember the offside call that the camera angle was like a hundred yards away from the uh, the gameplay. You know that's that's a shit you're going to have to deal with in Scotland with VAR with the current technology that you're using. So, um, therefore, what you expect is that there's going to be crappy calls based on that for all sides. And guess what? We've seen three examples of lines not being drawn correctly or the technology being used badly in, in, that I can recall over the last two seasons. The Jota one, which was taken from a skyscraper 14 miles away. The the the, the one at Motherwell, when the Rangers were playing there, and Sakala's goal was allowed to be offside, and subsequently it was shown that the lines were drawn in the wrong place. And then the one yesterday, uh, and Sunday, sorry, where again, it may still have been level, I don't know, but the line was demonstrably the line's been drawn in the wrong place. What's the common denominator with all these three things? Who does it benefit? Who does it harm? So 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 you're right in what you say, but then the outcomes of that of those errors and of that limitation to technology should be everyone suffers equally. Yeah, I mean, that's a deeper issue that we don't have time to get into at the minute on uh, today's podcast because um Technology has actually worked against us today, so we're operating off Zoom, which I only have a 40-minute subscription for, in which there is uh, two minutes left in this recording. So in 30 seconds then, Alan, or as close to 30 seconds as you can get it, what, what what's what's going to happen next? What is Brendan Rodgers' reaction? What is the team's reaction? Do you see this being turned around very quickly and, and obviously like almost fixed this weekend? It has to be a process. You know, there has to be, um, clearly the players are not implementing, as you say, successfully, whether that's because they can or they won't, we don't know. Hopefully it's the former. Um, But yeah, there clearly has to be improvement, as there was under Postacoglu. It took probably six to nine months to become coherent, and then it became super, super efficient in sort of season two. So we have to remember that, and this is probably going to be a similar process. 
all whilst having to deal with a very heavy injury list, which, which is disruptive, especially when it takes some of your better players away. Uh, I'm still hopeful we're going to get three or four significant bodies in the door, although time is, time is running out. Um, so, yeah, always optimistic. Um, we have been here before. Yeah, we have to be careful not to overreact, I guess, is what, I, what I'd conclude on. And that is probably what I'll conclude on as well. My one message would be to pretend the 25 million for Jota never happened because Celtic do not have 25 million just sitting there ready to be used. Okay, just remember that. It has to be used across multiple seasons because that's likely the way that Celtic are getting the money. So transfers will happen. Better transfers take longer to to happen. And I think Celtic will have two, if not three, upgradable transfers by the end of the window in the next 10 days there's lots to be positive about then and Celtic are going to get a win this weekend and that is as much time as we have left on this recording so thank you very much to everybody who's listening or watching and if you're watching on YouTube be sure to hit the like and subscribe button and leave a comment below Alan thank you very much you'll be back later this week with Juco James and we will chat to you then good luck Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.